So we're going to take some time to look at various scriptures and just remind ourselves of what Jesus has indeed done for us. We're going to start in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to pick up in verse 44. Luke 23, verse 44. And this is giving us a bit of a running start intro into the resurrection. Luke 23, verse 44 And we read here now, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all those acquaintances and the woman who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And today I want to talk and look at the resurrection of Jesus, not so much for what it means for us in a future day as important and as true as that is. We have a blessed hope because of what Jesus has done for us. And our very faith and salvation, like I said, hinges on the, on the reality of the resurrection. But I think all too often, we can kind of look ahead to what's been provided for us in a future day and, and fail to really comprehend and understand what the reality of the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is alive, what it means for us today. We can oftentimes question, well, that's great, Jesus. You're, you died, you rose on the... Uh, rose from the grave, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, but what about now? What about today? Well, we have great news, and that is because of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just a promise of a future blessing, it's the reality of new life now today. And we see that as we go through the resurrection account here, jump down to Luke 24, chapter 24, verse 1. And here's what we read. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother, James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles, and catch this, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Of all that should have been ready, counting down the days, ready, it should have been the apostles. The woman returned back with his good news, the two's at the end. The disciples are hearing this, and they're going, oh, come on now. Just a bunch of fairy tales. Don't give us another story like that. I mean, come on now. Speak the truth. Like, they're hearing this all as just idle tales, like fables. But notice, we read in verse 12 that Peter 
arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, I want you to think about Peter with me here for a moment. Because as Peter is the guy that says, okay, I got to see this for myself. And, him, and, and we know that uh, in John's gospel that John and Peter both ran to the tomb. John, of course, makes mention that he outran Peter, got there first, just so that, you know, everybody knows in history who are the fastest runners. But John gets there first. But they're both there. Peter's there. And he's, and he's looking in. Now, think about what's been going through Peter's mind the last few days. Because... I'm sure he's been replaying often, maybe through sleepless nights, the denial of Jesus Christ. We read that when Peter denied Jesus the third time, we read in Luke 22, verse 61 to 62, if you want to turn over there, Luke 22, verse 61. We read this, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Just think about what Peter has been experiencing. Not only did he deny the Lord three times, just as Jesus said he would, but as soon as that rooster crowed, being that signal that this is just as Jesus said it would, as he denies Jesus, suddenly there's Jesus being led out through the courtyard after being tried, the mock trial, falsely accused, and being beaten, and here comes Jesus walking out, and just as Peter denies him before the crowd, there's Jesus comes walking out and looks right at Peter. I mean, think about how heavy that would have been for Peter as he's been plagued with that memory. And now he goes to the tomb and he finds it empty. Is Peter wondering, how is he ever going to face Jesus now? Maybe he's thinking, oh man, I am in for it. I'm going to get like the largest rebuke anybody's ever gotten and I deserve it. Maybe, maybe Peter's going, oh man, I've got to find Jesus. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to repent, man. I need, I need his forgiveness. And we see indeed that Peter was restored and he was forgiven. Jesus not only forgave Peter, but he raised him up to a place of prominence in service to the Lord. Remember that scene in John chapter 21 as Jesus is meeting him by the sea and he's restoring him in a threefold way as Peter denied him three times. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep, Peter. And as the days moved from the resurrection to the Pentecost, the birth of the church, and just a few weeks afterwards, is Peter, that's the man used to proclaim the powerful word of the gospel. No longer was he a fearful, Jesus-denying follower at a distance. Now he's this bold, tell-it-like-it-is devotee of Jesus. Why? That's because of Jesus' resurrection. It's because all things have become new. Peter now experienced new life. And he said in that Pentecost sermon, this Jesus, God has raised up from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. See, there are many proofs of the resurrection. We've gone through many of those proofs over, you know, past Resurrection Sunday sermons. There's, there's many proofs. But a great proof that's hard to deny is a present changed life that only a living Savior can do. 
There's a theologian that said the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's very unusual. And secondly, if you believe it happened, you need to change the way you live. But it's not just so much in us changing the way we live. It's the fact that Jesus comes and he brings new life and he changes us. And he makes us new because he is alive. We have the hope and the promise of his presence and his power at work in our lives now to live in that newness of life that he has given us. So we're going to look at one verse here today as a launching point, and it's where we left off last week, interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, go to verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. We've been going through book of 2 Corinthians on Sundays, and we've been looking at some wonderful truths here in God's word. But verse 17, it's powerful. It packs a real punch for us here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says simply, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank you. That's what we've titled our Resurrection Sunday sermon here, All Things New. It's a day to celebrate that Jesus' resurrection promises us something new. But what does it mean that all things have become new? Because that's a pretty broad statement to make that can encompass a lot of things. Absolutely, it can. But we're going to look at a few things this morning that would speak of that which has indeed become new. First of all, we have new life. New life. Secondly, we have a new standing. Thirdly, we have a new perspective, and fourthly, we have new hope. New life, new standing, new perspective, and new hope. So we read there that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, this life now that we live in Christ in faith of the fact that he died for our sins, he rose again, and he did that, let me just say, out of his love for you and me. No more was the love of God evident than when Jesus went to the cross for each and every one of us to pay the price for us, pay the penalty for our sin, to make us new. So putting our faith in him is not about now just coming alongside him and and saying, okay, I'm going to reform my life now. I'm going to rehabilitate my life, or I'm just going to revive myself here. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a recreation. We're talking about a new creation that we become. A lot of people love to think that when Jesus, or try to dismiss the resurrection by saying when he died on the cross, he didn't really die. He just kind of, you know, fainted under the stress of it all. And when they took him down from the cross and they placed him in the cool tomb, he resuscitated. He came back to life. That's not what happened. It was a complete resurrection. He he was dead for three days in a sealed tomb. He rose again, and so it's not us again looking to revive ourselves just to have some, you know, fresh breath. No, it's a recreation, a new creation that we need to become. You see, the fellowship and the union that God intended for us in the beginning when he created Adam and Eve was that there would be this beautiful fellowship and life together. 
with the Father. But that was all ruined and marred because of sin entering the world, because of the fall and the disobedience of Adam and Eve, by which we all now become a byproduct of that. We live in a fallen world and seeing the corruption of sin all around us. And for thousands of years now, people lived under the weight of that sin and the consequences of it. People living uh, cut off from this closeness and intimacy with the father that was intended right from the beginning when God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's what we were all to enjoy, but sin got in the way of that. But now, in and through Jesus, not only do we see all things becoming new, but we now have new life. We become a new creation. And this isn't speaking about new in time, like, okay, this is now the order. No, it's speaking about new as to form and quality. There's a new nature now at work in us. And notice who the word says this is experienced by. Who is it experienced by? Anyone who is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. This is available and offered to an, is there anyone that's here today? Is there some anyone's here today? Yeah, come on, people. Work with me, all right? We've been here since 7 o'clock. What's your excuse? <clears throat> we are an anyone. Anybody can come and find themselves in Christ, but that's the stipulation. It's not just if anyone comes. It's anyone that is in Christ. It's not being in yourself. It's not about attaching yourself to some religion or following some group. It's about... Are you in Christ? Now, how is one in Christ? What does that mean to be in Christ? Well, one is in Christ by putting your faith and trust in who Jesus is, that he is the son of God who came to this world in complete divinity yet in sinless humanity. And that he came to this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin and to take the judgment of God that we all deserved. Like I said, he did this out of love for you. Please understand this today. God loves you so much that he would send his only begotten son into this world to die on a cross for us. All so that we could be forgiven, redeemed, and to be brought into fellowship with the Father again. Sin was atoned for there on the cross. So that we could be forgiven. And so that all things could become new. So that our lives could become new. Being in Christ is not just about attaching your name to his and saying, well, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was a good man that walked this earth back in history. No, it's about saying that you're a lost sinner, doomed on your own, but you found refuge in and that redemption in Jesus and in the knowledge that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again to provide for your salvation. And so, if you are in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation, you have new life. Look at what Romans 6, verse 3 to 10 tells us because it, it says this in such a wonderful way for us. It says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk 
in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe also that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So as we have placed our life in Christ, we recognize that we have died with Christ. We've laid ourselves down, but just as we have died with Christ, so also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection and experiencing that newness of life. These lives have been made new so that we can live them now in a greater way for the one who died and rose again. That's what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, where we read that he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Just think about that. Jesus died for you, and he rose again for you so that you might have newness of life and that you might have this life now to be lived to the praise of God, to the glory of God, which is a blessing to each and every one of us. So we have new life. Secondly, we have a new standing. So because Jesus has been raised to life, we understand we have, we have new life, but it can feel at times like, you know, we're still struggling with the old life. The old nature still seems to have such a hold and a grip on us at times that we feel like we're, you know, dragging this carcass around and we're like, what's the connection? I want to be gone from this. What, what's going on? Well, it's important to note that this new life doesn't just describe our practice, what we experience today and how we live, but more so our position. And again, it's those who are in Christ. In me, oh, I still struggle, but in Christ, I have the power now to live for him and in him to where my practice begins to become more aligned with my actual position in Christ spiritually. What's my position in Christ or my standing in him? It's that we're made righteous. See, I'm no longer seen by what once marked my life. Again, that's one of the greatest evidences when you see somebody that used to live a life that was just so rotten, so sinful. And I'm looking out at some people to give some examples, but I'm going to spare. I was like, I was finding it hard just to pick one, so I'll just leave it right now. But I know many of us can say, yeah, that was me. Where you see somebody that has lived this life and all of a sudden now, they're living for Jesus. They, they're no longer living according to the course of the world, the things that once used to satisfy, but they're living now for Christ. They're, they're loving people where they once were angry and filled with hate. They're walking in grace and forgiveness. And you're going, what happened? What, went on? what, what changed you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who's made us new. And he's brought us in, into a, a right standing with the Heavenly Father. I'm no longer seen by what 
once marked my life. I've been made new in Christ. Jesus has defeated my sin on the cross and he rose again to secure that newness of life for us and a new position in Christ. Old things have passed away, it says. All those old things that once that we once used to struggle with or the things that used to be our identity, those things no longer have any sway or hold on our life. We've been made new. We no longer have to let those things dictate or direct how we live, what we do, who we are. We have a new standing now in Christ. We're living in his victory over death and in the newness of his life. Romans 8, 1, I love this. It says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to flesh, but according to the spirit. See, if you are in Christ, you no longer need to live in the past. You're not bound up by what you did. Past mistakes and failures don't have to bring you under guilt and shame. We're no longer under condemnation. We have a new standing with Christ. Now, there are times we might feel condemned, but that's not of the Lord. The enemy, Satan, wants to be active in trying to bring you under guilt and shame and condemnation. But in Christ, we're set free from that. In fact, I'll give you a preview of next week's message. Second Corinthians 5, 20, I can't help but share this right now. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. And he allowed the judgment of God to be poured out for that sin, that judgment that we deserve. But Jesus took that sin from us. He bore the judgment of God, the wrath of God for that sin so that we could receive now his righteousness. That's an amazing gift. That's an incredible exchange that took place on the cross. Jesus allowed us to be clothed in his righteousness. I don't fear standing before the Lord one day. We fear when we stand before the Lord when we think, oh boy, he's going to say, well, what about this? What about when you did that? What about when you said this? Look at all these faults. No, see, Jesus paid the price for those. The slate's been wiped clean. God doesn't see our faults. He's going to see us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's the new standing that we have now in Christ. We're, we're hidden with Christ. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 2.6, that he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. That's our new position in Christ. And notice, it's not that he's going to try to raise you up. He's given his best shot. It's not something he's going to do. It says, and you have been raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's an already done deal, my friends. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's already been delivered from that. We're no longer under that bondage and guilt and condemnation. We've been delivered from that. We have a new standing now because of, Je of Jesus Christ, and that new standing is in Christ and in his righteousness. Praise the Lord for that. So not only do we have new life, new standing, we have a new perspective so because we are alive in Christ, we now have a new view 
of our value system, our, our outlook, our philosophy of life. We're no longer living now for the things of the world as perhaps we once were when we knew nothing better. It's like we thought this world is all we got. So we're going to live it up. Eat, drink, as the Bible says, for tomorrow you die. Not that the Bible promotes that, but that was something that was repeated by those that Paul brings up in the Bible. Don't misquote me now on that. But that's how many people live. They just seek to live it up for this day because that's all they got. But now we have a new perspective. We know that our lives have been purchased at a great price by Jesus who gave his life for us for us to live our lives for him. And here's the great thing is that we recognize that this world no longer satisfies. We've satisfied. We've been living for the things of this world. We've been trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction from it, but we find it keeps leaving us empty. It's only when we come to Christ who said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, more to the full. The world can't fill us up, but Jesus can. And it's the life that fills us up, not just in the future life, but in the life that we have now because we've become a new creation. We have newness of life. So we have a new perspective. We recognize that our aim now is not to seek pleasure and satisfaction from this world. We know that our lives now are lived with a different purpose. There's a, a different aim, and that is to please the Lord who gave it all for us. Just as we read already in verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again and because jesus is alive we don't get rattled now by our circumstances by the things that are maybe going on in our lives the trials the the hardships we don't have to let these things rock us and bring doubt or uncertainty into our lives we recognize that we have a living Savior who is working for us and keeping us secure. It's what we read in Hebrews 7, verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So all through the Old Testament, many priests were there to bring people to God, but there had to be continuous priests. Why? Because of death. They died off. But notice this. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, amen, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen. Do you recognize that Jesus is at the right hand, not just living up with God, having a party, going, well, you know, we'll wait out until the people have come back up here with us. No, they're He's interceding for us. He's at work. He's upholding us. So we don't live by what we see any longer, what's going on and maybe the chaos in the world or the chaos of our life and wonder, God, where are you? What's happening? We understand God is good. He's faithful and he's interceding for us. So we don't live by what we see. We live by faith, faith in a Savior who's not only saved us from things, who has indeed saved us from sin, from death, from hell, but notice what Hebrews says, that he has saved us to the uttermost. He's not just saved us from something, but he saved us to something. That is to be with him forever and ever. He's at work right now. And so we don't look to what's going on in the world in fear, 
in doubt. That brings us down. No, rather, as Hebrews 12, 2 says, we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And not only has he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, but he is there interceding for us, sustaining us, carrying us through each of our things so that we're not alone, but rather he's with us. And he is, as Jude says, one day going to present us faultless before the throne of God. Praise the Lord. That leads us to the new hope that we have now. New hope. See, now that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, we have this new hope. Hope, again, biblically is not this idea that we use it as where we're thinking, well, I really hope, you know, my family remembers my birthday this year. Hope they don't forget it like they did last year, you know. It's biblically, a hope is a certainty, a confident expectation. And we have a confident expectation that because Jesus died and rose again, so too, we have everlasting life with him. It's a confidence in the life to come. Job chapter 19, verse 25 to 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at, the, at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Job, with all the affliction that he went through, said, here's my confident expectation. That I know that my Redeemer lives. And he's going to stand here on the earth, and I'm going to stand with him. Even though my flesh may be destroyed, I know that in my flesh, Job, believing of his own resurrection, is going to see God. 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through, how? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Goes on in verse 21 to say, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The question is, do you have a confidence today that Jesus rose from the grave? The resurrection of Jesus has been so completely validated. But the second question is, do you believe that because Jesus rose from the grave, you too are going to receive everlasting life? This incredible reality and gift for us is absolutely amazing, and it should cause us every day to wake up praising God for his goodness and grace. But maybe you've been so focused on what's going on around you, and you've not given much time to even consider who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And this day here, Resurrection Sunday, the day that we celebrate that we serve a risen Savior is an opportunity for you to look to Jesus and say, and I need that newness of life. Maybe you're here or watching online and you don't have any confidence of all, at all, of, of, of what happens to you when you die. Maybe you're worried what is going to happen at that point. Maybe you've just put it off and never thought about it because it's easier just to ignore it than have to deal with it. The Bible says it's appointed once for every person to die in the judgment. 
but how are you going to fare in that day? And I hope we've made that very clear to you today. It's not going to be by your good works that gets you in heaven. It's not going to be by you being a good person. It's going to be because you are in Christ. And because you've put your faith and trust in what he has provided for you there on the cross and dying for your sin, the fact that he rose again is secure eternal life for you. Are you in Christ today? Have you, the Bible says, for us to repent of our sin, which simply means to turn from our sin and change direction. It's saying, Jesus, I've been going my way. That way leads to, leads to death. I'm going to change direction. I'm going to follow you and go your way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The question is, have you put your trust in Jesus, repented of your sin, and believed in him for the forgiveness of your sins and newness of life? Are you in Christ today? Don't leave here today without having that assurance and confidence. Because every person is going to stand before the Father one day. The question is, are you in Christ and clothed in his righteousness and not your own? Turn to him today. Receive life. He is alive today. He's made it all possible and provided it all for you freely. But receive that today for yourself. Turn to Jesus. Worship team, would you come? We're going to close with a time of singing and worship and just lifting up the name of Jesus because he is good and deserving of all of our praise. So, Lord, we thank you for the life that you lived and the life that you are now. You are are alive and you've given us reason lord to live these lives now for you you've given us new life a new standing new perspective and a blessed hope now in you so god lead us on from here with joy with that assurance of salvation and for those that don't know you lord lead them to you god just bring conviction of heart to cause them to turn to you and to receive you we pray you Continue on your work here in our lives today. And may we continue on to be witnesses of you. Revealing again such an incredible proof of a resurrected Jesus who has given us new life. We pray in your name.